0: Okay. At this time then we will have a split sermon from Mr. Sean Witt entitled "Put on the Whole Armor of God. Sure. Thank you Reggie. Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to services on this beautiful Sabbath day. I want to pose a question to you here in the beginning. Would you do dangerous activities without the proper safety equipment? Like, let's say, Ken, to put you on the spot, would you jump into a raging fire without your proper uniform on, a fire suit with a helmet and all that good stuff? Pretty silly, wouldn't it? Or like, even Curtis, when he played football, I doubt he would walk out on the field without his helmet and his football gear. Unless he wanted to get hurt pretty badly and sent to the hospital with a concussion, I don't know if that ever happened to Curtis. Hopefully not. But, uh, like uh, Steve, also with you, with where you work, you have to wear a um, safety helmet. I bet and a hard hat. And where I work, when we're out on the field, uh, out on the floor, we have to wear safety glasses. You know, it's, we have to have proper equipment for what you're doing. So. How much more important is it that we have the proper equipment in our spiritual lives to protect us from the wiles of the devil? Today I'd like to talk about the different pieces of God's armor that can protect us that um, Paul told us about what he was inspired to write about while he was in prison. So turn with me now. Paul does say that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with the powers, We wrestle against the powers and rulers from the spiritual realm, which is real. So turn with me now to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in your power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, and with which you will be able to quench all the fiery dollars of the wicked one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that uttereth may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Satan wants to destroy us. So, do you think it might be a good idea to have some protection? Satan has a strategy, he has a game plan with many parts. He attacks the individuals in areas such as drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, bitterness, hopelessness, discouragement, low self-esteem, depression, arrogance, and codependency, and I'm sure there's others. Satan will do all he can to make us hostages of mental instabilities and inaccuracies. If Satan can cripple the individual How much easier is it for him to cripple families, churches, and society at large? However, God instructs us how we can counteract this scheme that he has. Turn with me now to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer... In supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. God wants us to think about his goodness. Satan tries to pull us away from God's goodness because he knows the only way he can do this is through deception. Satan tries to get hold of believers a little bit at a time. You know, he tries to get his foot in the door. Like, maybe there's that movie you shouldn't have watched or the conversation you probably shouldn't have had. At first, it seems harmless But Satan makes his way, and it becomes a little easier to get us to that, graduate us to that next level uh, to buy what he is selling us. An example of this is how David decided to number Israel. So let's turn now to 1 Chronicles 21, verses 1 through 8, to talk about this. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are you not all my Lord's servants? Why then does the Lord require this thing? Why should it be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel. And came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly. Because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away this iniquity from your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David had the idea that he did not need God at that point, that he could take care of the army himself. As a result, he disobeyed God, and because of that, 70,000 people ended up losing their lives. Whatever controls our minds controls our actions, and there are consequences for our decisions that we make. We need to learn these lessons. They're written for our examples, and to stand firm in God's strength. We cannot outwit the father of lies and the master of deception on our own. We need to have God's help. We are in a real battle, and we need to have God's armor to help protect us. The first piece of armor I'd like to talk about today is the belt of truth. Now, you wouldn't think a belt is really all that important, but it's pretty much the foundation of all the other pieces of armor. That's why it comes first. In biblical times, the Roman soldiers girded their loins by fastening a belt around their waist. Normally, you'd think as a belt isn't very important, like I was saying, um, basically, it holds your pants up. which I guess is important after all, because you don't want your pants to fall down. That could be embarrassing. But for those of you who are superhero fans, I, I think of Batman's belt when I think of the belt of truth. I don't know if any of you watch the old series from the 60s, but Batman had all kinds of cool stuff on his belt. He had uh, the bat array and uh, communication device, all kinds of neat things on there. And that's kind of the same as with the Roman soldier's belt the build of truth. It's there to hold his sword, and it's very important. It was useful to place uh, his armor besides the sword. He had daggers and different things he could put on there as well. And it also helped him increase mobility. It also produced stability as well, holding him in place. So now let's go to Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. And we will read chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, when you wear the belt of truth and operate with it, aligning your mind, will, and emotions under God's view, no matter on the matter of his truth, he will empower you to fight uh, your spiritual battles. He's there to help you. So let's go to Jeremiah 17 now, verse 9. And it talks about the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and who can know it? We need to stay close to God, away from Satan's lies. Uh, the world around us, every day, we have lies. We hear lies everywhere, in the media, the government, scientific community lies to us, friends, coworkers. There's a lot of deception out there, um, a.k.a. false news. You hear a lot about that these days. Let's go on now to Matthew 24, verses 24, to examine this some more for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. It seems that Satan is setting the groundwork of skepticism and doubt of almost everything that surrounds us in this life. First, we hear that butter is okay, and then they come out of the study and say, well, actually, butter's bad. And then we, we hear it, salt is good. No, well, salt's bad. So it's hard to know what's real and what is not out there. We hear uh, global warming, climate change, you know, is taking over, and um, we're going to destroy the Earth. And then we also hear that it's a big hoax, um, the money-making hoax that's false data from the scientific community. There's just a lot of uh, lies out there. We don't know all the facts. It can be hard to know the truth, what is false and what is real but we do know that God is truth. So let's now go to John 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God is all truth. He cannot lie. He's the only one who lives and exists in a state of absolute truth. He is a source of our freedom and stability and our victory. Now, the second piece of armor I'd like to talk about is a breastplate of righteousness. It is likened to righteousness having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's referring to Ephesians 6:14. We're not going to turn there this time, but I just want to mention that soldiers at the time had another piece of protective armor to ward off enemy blows, it was a shield. But during the heat of the battle, those blows could come from unexpected directions where there could be too many to ward off with just a shield so the breastplate provided protection against unexpected and against overwhelming numbers like if there was many soldiers coming around hitting this if you had your sh- your sh- uh, shield up you know it might be another soldier coming from this side to whack you on this side and the breastplate would protect you on the other side because the shields were quite large, but if you've got a whole bunch of people around you, you can't block everybody with the shields, so the breastplate helped quite a bit. The breastplate worn by Roman soldiers was generally made of iron, though some wealthier soldiers may have worn bronze. And it considered, it was an overlapping piece of metal connecting to the front and the back sections for protection on both sides. There were rounded pieces protecting the shoulders as well, and they usually rested on the soldier's hips, so the entire weight wasn't carried just on the shoulders. The overlapping pieces allowed for more flexibility and movement. This piece of armor protected vital organs of the soldier during battle. Clark's Adam Clark's commentary says the following as the breastplate defends the heart and lungs and all those vital functionaries that are connected in what is called the region of the thorax. So this righteousness defends everything on which the man's spiritual existence depends. Righteousness simply means being or doing what is right. The belt of truth comes first because there cannot be righteousness apart from truth. You have to have truth first before righteousness. There are two sides of righteousness, being righteous and doing righteous righteousness. Now, let's go to James 4, verses 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What is our intent? What are we doing? Are we doing things on the hour to show uh, a sense of pride? I mean, is that why we do things to show what we're doing is a prideful thing? Or maybe it's fear-based of what we do. God sees what is deep inside of us and measures the motivation of all that we do or don't do. If we're doing things for the right reasons. We need to view sin like God does. We need to not make excuses. Let's look at the example of Lot. Like Lot, we're we're surrounded by sin every single day. It's all around us, like in Sodom and Gomorrah. Does it disturb us when we're around sin, or are we more like the frog that's in the water that as it starts to heat up, we boil in that? Or are we really disturbed by what we see around us because it is getting rather uh, bad out there. It's becoming worse and worse everywhere we look. Rather than adopting the sinful ways of those around him, Lot continued to obey God and deeply disturbed by the lawlessness and the sin that was going on around him. And God commanded him to flee the city at a, at a single notice. Anyway, he, had, he just had to get up and go, basically, after they said, okay, we're going to destroy the city now. And Lot did so without looking back. He was not part of the evil culture. His obedience to God's commands and his desire to follow God's way of life made Lot a righteous man. And the breastplate of righteousness saved Lot. It saved him from destruction. I was talking with somebody just the other day about this. And we were talking about how basically there was only three people that were saved out of uh, Sodom. And it was Lot and his two daughters. His wife didn't even make it because she looked back. We need to ask ourselves, would we look back? Are we going to keep moving forward? How consumed by this world are we? Let's go now to Psalms 119, verses 172. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. God's commandments are righteousness, and we can put on the breastplate by obeying God in our lives. How can we begin such a large task? Life involves a series of choices. We can work on it one day at a time, choosing with God's help to make it our next choice, be a righteous one. It's choice upon choice upon choice, what we do in life. We have to continually be trying to make good choices. Now we'll go to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, please. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every action begins with a thought, and our thoughts need to be brought into God's alignment. Correct righteous choices and life flow from the mind dwelling from God's word. So now we're going to go on to the third piece of God's armament, and that is the shoes of Peace the gospel of the coming kingdom. The shoes worn by the soldiers of the Roman Empire were called caligae, and I probably butchered that. They were specifically designed to keep soldiers' feet healthy during the rigors of long forced marches and were very different from the sandals that were worn of that day among most of the populace. They were a little bit more rugged they were constructed of three layers of leather, which were pulled around, to lace up around the ankle. And they were to protect against blisters, foot disease, and small spikes and iron hobnobs were often driven into the soles of the shoe to give them firm footing in all kinds of different terrain. Uh, soldiers' shoes are formed, the, the, the soldier's shoes formed the foundation for their armament. In those days, the foot soldiers, um, they relied walking as a primary means of transportation. They walked everywhere. So the ability to move easily and comfortably was necessary. In addition, they needed to keep themselves stable in battle without having to think about where their feet were so they could have solid footing as they're moving around. They didn't have to stop and think, well, oh, see, was my shoe loose? and make sure that their shoes were on tight they didn't have time to be concerned about their shoes so they had to be there to give them sure footing and in life it's important that we have sure footing that we're grounded trusting in God produces peace there's a lot of chaos and stress in the world as I mentioned we need to remember who is in charge we have to have peace in our families and one thing I think is pretty neat is we have a a picture at home I think I've mentioned this in messages before but it basically says that peace it doesn't matter uh, what noise or trouble or hard work is going on around you but you can be in the midst of all these things and still be calm in your heart so even though you've got chaos and different things going around it's important to have peace now I'd like to read just a little snippet from this book called Victory in Spiritual Warfare, which I used to put this message together as well. It's written by Tony Evans, I highly recommend it. There is parts of it you have to kind of uh, look over that aren't exactly correct, but that's how it is when you read books like this. So I'm gonna read just a little bit from page 88. A young boy was a passenger flying on an airplane through a terrible storm. The turbulence was causing the passengers to panic. However, the young boy was not afraid. One of the passengers next to the boy turned to him and asked, how can you be so calm in the midst of all this? The young boy replied, my father's the pilot. When you know who's at the controls, you have peace even in the middle of life's storms. So he was reassured, knowing that his father was the pilot. This just goes along with, we can be reassured that God is our pilot. During the ministry on this earth, Jesus Christ made multiple references to the gospel message. An example can be found in Matthew 4, verse 23. Please turn with you there. And Jesus went about to Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. We need to do our part to preach the gospel message. Now let's go to Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go ye the for into to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We do not know who God may have in our path, but we need to set a right example at all times so we can Uh, be a right example to other people that may be coming along that God is calling now go with me to Romans 10 verses 15 and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of glad things and I'd like now to go to Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 4 which further expounds on this Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord, the house, shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. He shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation again, neither shall they learn war anymore. In our world, we've come to think of peace as a time when there's no more active warriors being engaged. The world that will exist in the kingdom of God has been established. When it will be established, it'll be a, wor- a world without instruments of war. They'll all be destroyed, have real peace that exists. What better news could there be of a world with no more war and total peace? So we talked about the shoes of peace and the gospel to come, and that we need to be spreading this gospel as well. We're now gonna go to the fourth piece, which is the shield of faith. The Roman shield, or scutum, was a central part of the soldier's defense. A scutum was, rectangular in shape and rounded on the ends. It was typically made from two sheets of wood that were glued together and covered with a canvas piece of leather, canvas and leather. The canvas and leather could be dosed with water to protect against flaming arrows. The shield weighed about 22 pounds and was roughly 37 to 42 inches high and 33 inches across. A metal piece ran across the center of the shield, so it could be used as a weapon to punch or push forward as well, to keep people off. Turn everything now to Ephesians 6, verses 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I'm gonna read another story real quick. This one's a little bit longer, uh, regarding the fiery darts of the enemy. The father and son were traveling across the Wild West in a wagon one day when a prairie fire broke out. The the father and his son tried to outrun the wildfire in their wagon. They quickly realized that it wasn't going to work. The fire was coming too fast, and unless they tried something else, it would catch up with them and consume them. Much to the confusion of the son, the father turned the horse and the wagon around and rushed directly back toward the fire. He took them to a spot that had already been burned and yelled to his son, Jump out and stand there. Don't move. They both jumped out, but the boy became afraid, and he saw the fire raging and moving towards them. He wanted to run, but his father grabbed his hand and said, Don't move, son. Stand firm. But the fire is almost here, the son cried, his voice shaking with fear. I don't understand. This spot has already been burned, the dad replied. There is nothing left here for the fire to grab. The fire will come near us, but it cannot burn again, what has already been burned once before. The boy was safe because he stayed with his father in a place that the fire could not reach. As Satan battles you in spiritual warfare, he wants you to step away from the ground that has already been burned in the spiritual realm, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus has already been crucified. and his resurrection has already secured the victory. Satan cannot touch you when you stay close to Christ. If you stay firm and stand firm in the center of the safest location where the victory has already been accomplished, you will stand victoriously because Satan can't reach you there. In fact, just like the Roman soldier in battle was confronted by the arrows of the fiery darts like in the story we just read, Of the, from the enemy, we too can be attacked at times from every angle and by the wilds of Satan. The shield of faith, the armor that God has given us to defend us can help us against those attacks. I'm going to skip ahead for the sake of time here. And let's see. The apostle Paul, or Peter I should say, paints a vivid picture of how we should humble ourselves and hold up the shield of faith against Satan. Now let's go to the fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. The Roman helmet, known as a gallia, could vary quite a bit in design since mass manufacturing didn't exist at the time. They were all different sizes and shapes. Each helmet was created individually there was also a variation in the helmet design over time during the life of the empire. As time went on, they changed a bit. Usually the helmets are made of metal, though poor soldiers had ones that are made of leather. And they might have pieces of metal like um, fortified to them. The most obvious value to the helmet was to protect against blows to the head. Helmets usually had cheek plates which protect the face against blows, metal piece of the back to protect the neck. In addition, during the early first century, the helmets began to include a brow ridge uh, to provide protection to the eyes as well. And a helmet protects a soldier against damaging blows to the head. Spiritually speaking, the helmet of salvation provides hope and protects the mind against anything that would disorient or destroy a Christian, such as discouragement or deceit. Let's now go to Thessalonians 5, verses 8 through 9. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's promise to do his part is bringing salvation to us. That cannot be broken. Remember, God cannot lie. The Apostle Peter refers to this hope as a living thing, something that cannot decay, cannot be defiled. It is something that spiritually should motivate us and sustain us throughout our lives. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4 bless be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you in a world where there's nothing permanent the promise of salvation made possible by the sacrifice of jesus christ never fades away it's a promise that we have It represents stability in an unstable world. It gives hope to, in the worst of circumstances, enabling us to fight against despair and discouragement. The helmet also protects the eyes of the soldier, enabling him to maintain physical vision. Spiritual vision allows the Christian to fix his eyes, him or her on the goal pressing forward without distractions and detours. I want to go to uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, we also since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run the race of endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Apostle Paul set an example, pressing forward with his eyes on the goal at all times, and he urged the brethren of the church of Philippi to do the same. A soldier going into battle without his helmet would have instantly exposed himself to the deadliest of blows. Leaving off any piece of your armor would be very dangerous, but to go in without a helmet Uh, would be unthinkable. We can no more afford to be without the helmet of salvation ourselves today. It's a very important piece of the armor as well. The final sixth piece of the armor is the sword of the spirit. The sword used by Roman soldiers was known as a gladius and in the hands of a skilled man it was a fearsome weapon. In fact, it became known as a sword that conquered the world. It was sharpened on both sides, making it lethal against an unarmed foe. The point was also sharpened, enabling it to pierce armor. So it was a very, very strong sword. An infantryman in the Roman legions would also go to battle with a dagger as well. Not just a sword, but would have a dagger. Few spears and possibly a few darts, but the gladius was the only defensive, with, um, offensive weapon that Paul described. He didn't describe really the darts or the other parts of, of the. But it's a main weapon of the soldier's arsenal is the sword. Paul defines the sword as a spirit, as a word of God. Let's go now to Hebrews four verses twelve through thirteen. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints of the marrow and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from its sight, but all things are naked and open to the eye of him whom it must give account. The word of God is even sharper than the gladius sword. It is capable of piercing the deepest levels of one's heart and attitude and it is also a tool of discernment in the hands of the skilled user as we saw of Jesus in the wilderness as he was um, as we saw of Jesus in the wilderness that sword will make the devil flee the desire to become knowledgeable in god's word is a skill in using the sword it has to come from within us to have that desire to be more knowledgeable of God's word. Let's go now to Psalms 119 verses 111, or excuse me, 101 through 104. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This is an attitude and an approach that David had to God's word that can make us a skilled spiritual warrior. He loved God's word, and he uh, sang about God as well. He made psalms singing praise to God. Now let's go to Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of oracles of God. You may have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is. Therefore, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Our training and skill levels are up to us how we choose to use the armor we are to use God's word to discern those thoughts and attitudes that are contrary to God's way and use the sword to bring those attitudes and thoughts into captivity that is a Christian battle that we have to fights and we have to have God to help us out. And that is how we use the offensive weapon in our armor. In conclusion, with God's help we can do all things. We have been reminded today just how important it is to make sure we take the time to put on the whole armor of God. There is a complete uniform that we need and each piece is working together. And if Rick at this time you can put the image up of the armor these are all the different pieces of the armor. Look how large that shield is. We've got the Helmet of Salvation, uh, the Belt of Truth, the Sword of the Spirit, and we've got the, the, the Shoes of Peace, protected by the Gospel, the breastplate of righteousness, Righteous, and uh, Shield of Faith. That is the whole piece of all the armor. We can't just have on parts of the armor. We have to have the whole thing. And you can show that image now of the, the ring. This is just kind of a neat thing. Um, this past weekend, Kim and her mom were going through some things at the house, and uh, they happened to come across this ring, and it, my mother-in-law's a jewelry box, and I guess it was a ring that was left by somebody uh, that had lived in one of their rental units years ago, but I just thought it was pretty neat, the timing of all this, because it obviously it's a Roman soldier's um, crest, you know, the helmet, and I just thought that was pretty neat um, with me giving this message right now, and I, I can wear it and, you know, think of Having God's armor on it's another reminder, but I thought it was kind of a neat thing to share that God's you know um, just doing something neat like that. But we need to remember there is a real spiritual battle going on behind the scenes, Um, we may not see it, but it's real. And if we still have time, I know we ran kind of long. I have a video I'd like to show, it's about three minutes long. Thank you.